and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe. I want to start talking to you today about marriage, divorce, remarriage, and the Christian. This is really what I want to talk about. There wasn't enough room on the thumbnail to put all of those down. But I have been a pastor for a long time, 38 years, and I've seen a lot of people make moves that they know are against God's word when it comes to marriage, divorce, remarriage, and the Christian. I've also seen people make real messes of their lives, marrying and divorcing and remarrying five or six times, and then coming up and saying, uh, do uh, what, uh, do you have any idea um, what I should do uh, after this and this, and should I remarry or not marry? Um, they have a lot of questions about it, to which a lot of times you just listen to it and say, I don't know that I can clear that up. Now, I want to go through just some passages that talk about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and the Christian, but I want you to know that th- although this is going to be informative, this is information that you can take But if you're in the midst of a situation where you're wondering, should I get divorced? Should I? Can I remarry? Um, What about my my old marriage? Um, uh, am am, Am I okay biblically to be able to remarry? That you should talk to a pastor or a certified biblical therapist who knows the Word of God and can listen to your story because they all differ so much. It's hard for me, even in a meet and greet after a service, to be able to give someone direction because I don't have all of the information. You got to be able to sit down and take everything in. So even though I'm going to go through some some scriptures here, and this can be a starting point for you, I really encourage you to sit down and talk to a pastor on this topic. So I'm going to put the scriptures up on the screen here, and I want to do this by just talking through some scriptures, looking at what they have to say, and talking about what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage in the Christian. So this is Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Here Jesus says, and he answered and said to them, have you not read, he made them at the beginning male and female. Now, again, this is God's idea. God's the one who made marriage, and he made them male and female, and said, for this, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there's something very intimate that happens during marriage. It's not just two people making a commitment. There's an actual one flesh taking place and the two shall become one flesh. So then there, uh, there are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, God, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So this is the words of Jesus. The two have become one flesh, and what God has joined together in that supernatural joining, let no man separate. So when you are getting married, and when you are married, you take this very serious. And even though it may go against your desires or what you want to do, you don't break it just because you want to. What God has joined together, let no man separate. So if there's no biblical case for divorce, then you want to submit to what it says, even if it's not what you like. And for so much now, we want to do what we want to do, and we make a lot of mistakes. It's always better to do it God's way and and in the end. Now, it also says in Malachi 2.16, for the Lord God says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment in violence. Since the Lord of hosts, therefore, uh, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Why does it cover one's garment with violence? Because two have become one and you've tore it apart and divorce will always be ugly and will always be hard and you're dealing treacherously. Um, This is when when you're not doing it in a biblical manner, in a biblical way. Now, Jesus also said in Matthew 19, 8, 9, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. Now, this is a concession in the law. So the law had certain concessions that there there one day would be a king, that God didn't want to have a king, but he gave him that concession that they would have divorce. It wasn't God's plan, but the hardness of their heart. This is not the hardness of the heart of an offended party. So if someone has an affair and the person wants a divorce because of the affair, the marriage has been broken by the person having the affair and the person, the offended party can get a divorce and remarry. But often people will tell them, don't let your heart grow hard. 
but it's the hardness of the heart of the offender, not the offendee. He says, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now that's except for sexual immorality. So the marriage stays intact even if there is a divorce for the wrong reason. So spiritually, the two are still being one and adultery is being committed. And so there's one reason for a divorce and that is sexual immorality. Now we go on a little bit further and we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now to the married I command you, this is Paul, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. Jesus said, what man has put together, let no one, what God's put together, let no man put asunder. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. So there are reasons for separation. It could be abuse, physical, emotional. It could be addiction behavior. Uh, it could be, um, it could be severe manipulation and a, a woman may separate from her husband, but she's not to remarry. She's to remain single. And this is where a lot of people have difficulty. God allowed for you to be able to get out of a difficult situation. If I've had pastors really upset because we give women who are being physically abused advice to separate from their husbands and then their pastors will call us and be really upset with us. But God wants there to be safety. And um, I've said to pastors before, you live with someone who beats you up and see how, see how you like that. However, it, it, they are to remain unmarried or be reconciled to their husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, say. So this is just Paul saying, I'm the one saying this. Jesus said not to divorce. If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let her not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce, divorce him. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart a brother or a sister is not under bondage in such a case. So if you're married to a non-believer and the unbeliever says, I want a divorce, you are to let them go. And at that point you can remarry, but that's only if the unbeliever leaves. Now there are people who will declare someone an unbeliever. There are people who will declare that, um, that they have the right to remarry. Um, or they say, I'm going to divorce my husband. I know he's going to have an affair and then I'm going to be free to remarry. All I'll say about these situations, the Bible says God's not mocked. And if you're going to do that, people say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and divorce, remarry, and then I'll repent. And God won't want me to get a divorce. Okay, you can do that if you want to, but God's not going to be mocked. And I wouldn't want to have that kind of a relationship I wouldn't want to have that kind of a relationship with God where I'm making decisions and looking later on like I'm going to repent. So it becomes clear and a lot of people don't like this. As I said, I've been doing this for 38 years. A lot of people, you'll tell them, yeah, you need to remain married. And they're like, well, I'm not happy. Well, you, the two have become one and what God has put together don't separate, but they look for any way to do it. Someone will say, said to me here recently, what if he's looked at pornography? And I said, was he repentant? And she said, no. And I said, I don't know. You're going to have divorce for every, in every marriage where someone has looked at pornography. So they're just looking for a reason to be able to tear a marriage apart. And that becomes problematic. Now, as I said, this is a lot of information that we've gone over. And it's good for you to sit down with a pastor, tell them your situation, and be able to determine it. There are a lot of times when I'll tell a woman or a man, you're free to remarry. And a lot of times I'll tell them, no, you're not. Remain single or be reconciled. And if they're like, well, I want to be reconciled, then remain single. That's just the call. That's the call that we've got. And it's not the worst thing to say, I want to be obedient uh, to what the Lord has said. Now, if you're joining us for the very first time, really glad to have you guys here. I hope that the Lord uh, speaks to you. If you have a question, when we take all questions about the Bible and prophecy and, and um, uh, differences within the Christian faith, we take them all. Just write your question out, reread it, add any references, make sure it makes sense. Because a lot of times I'm trying to read a question and I can't make any sense of it. 
And so um, I end up just passing on the question. But reread it, um, write it out and reread it, make corrections to it, and then go ahead and submit it. And we'll take questions from you. So good to see you guys here. Uh, we have our first question today from Natalie. Natalie says, um, hi, Pastor Robert. Thank you, uh, as always, for your care and expertise. I'm curious about sources that you suggest for a full guide of eschatology that you like. Um, all right. So, uh, Natalie, um, I don't know that there's a complete source for eschatology uh, that I like. You, I, I've, you, I've ended up writing so many different books on eschatology. And there are a lot of good ones that are out there. Um, I suggest something pretty simple to start to, that's going to cover some of the basics uh, that are there. Maybe something by Dave Hunt, um, Tim LaHaye. Uh, there's a lot of really good books uh, by Mark Hitchcock, and I really suggest his books. Uh, and to go and find something that's going to cover a lot of different things is a, a, a lot of different things about eschatology. Just kind of get your feet wet. A broader book is what I'm trying to say. Um, I also um, really like um, Ed Henson. And he's since gone to be with the Lord. He was at our prophecy conference two years ago but probably the foremost expert on eschatology uh, when he passed away. And he's got a lot of really good books. Between him and Mark Hitchcock, and we had Mark Hitchcock at that prophecy, at that prophecy conference as well, they probably written 120 different books. Uh, some of them you can get on Audible. Some of them you can get on Kindle. You can order them on Amazon. Um, but I don't have a specific name for you, but I would go and look and see what really speaks to you and look for the really broad books. Um, and Natalie, I'm really excited that you're interested in eschatology. I believe that we all should be. Revelation said, says, blessed are those who read, hear, and do the things that are said in this book. Now, we know Jesus also said, you're blessed when you study the Word of God and you obey it, when you hear the Word of God and obey it. But Revelation has its own promise. And a lot of the Bible is uh, on Bible prophecy. And so many people don't understand eschatology, the study of the last days. <clears throat> and so, um, there are so many books written on it, Natalie, that are good books by people like Mark Hitchcock and Ed Henson um, and others that there's no way that you could read all of them. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of good information in these books. And if I was had to suggest anyone as an author right now, those two would be it. I mean, look at anything that they've done. Look at what you're interested in and then read it get the areas that you're interested in, and then you can dive in into more specific aspects about eschatology um, with some books that are written. Um, I like some things that Grant, uh, Grant and Jeffrey has done when you want to get into more specific things. All right. So, um, we have a question, and thank you, Natalie, for your question. We have a question from um, Angela. Angela says, question, can I get remarried? One, um, one didn't love me and the other didn't work, so I divorced him. Um, so, Angela, I'm going to go back to what I said in the very beginning of this, and, and, and I said in the beginning, so a lot of people might not have been logged on. I can't give you personal advice without asking a lot of questions. And that's why you need to sit down with a pastor and talk to him about whether or not it's okay for you to remarry. There are issues in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, issues in uh, that Jesus talked about, and the Bible talks about remaining single or be reconciled. Um, and I don't know, like, did your husband get remarried? That makes a difference. So, these things are things that I can't give you the answer to. I can't answer that question for you, Angela, I'm sorry, but you can sit down and talk with a pastor. Let them know the details and be ready to receive the answer to it. Sometimes the people will sit down and talk to me about this in detail. When I give them the answer, they don't like it and they start looking for something else. Uh, and look, I don't want to 
tell someone they can't be remarried if they can be. But I also don't want to tell somebody that they can be remarried if they can't. So I cannot give you those kind of answers here on a Q&A online. You're going to have to go sit down, um, talk with, with someone who really knows what they're talking about, a counselor, a biblical counselor, um, a pastor, to be able to give you that information. All right, Angela, thank you very much, though, um, for asking. Rakaya says, on hi, Rakaya, hi, hi, reference Acts 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch desiring for baptism, even my own desire after accepting Christ, do all believers desire baptism? Is this one of the few fruits of true salvation? Thank you, Rakaya, for your question. I really appreciate that. Uh, there, there's nothing biblical that would say it's one of the transforming things that happen when we get saved, um, that you would want to be baptized, except for, for maybe this. Uh, the Bible says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, everything becomes new. One of the things that becomes new is that you want to do what Jesus wants you to do. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. First John says, if you say you love him, but you don't keep his commandments, then you're a liar. And so Jesus said to the church, go out, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do all of the things that I have commanded you. And that was baptizing. And so, yeah, I guess I've kind of talked my way in a circle around this that if we want to do what Jesus says to do, and he wants us as a church to baptize disciples, if you're a disciple, then you need to be baptized. I think it's a desire that Christians are going to have. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to run into a Christian who says, uh, I don't feel compelled to be baptized. And that, that says nothing about whether or not they are genuinely saved. That's what you want to be careful about. We're not trying to judge anyone. We're simply saying when we love Jesus and really love him, we want to do what he wants us to do. And if we don't, then we're not, we're not worried about it. But I would say, if you say, I love him, but I don't want to do what he wants me to do, then I always say, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying that's, that's a dangerous place to be. And you might not really be saved if you say that. So, yeah, I do believe it is one of the transforming, transformed works when we get saved. There are certain things that we want to do now because we are Christians, and I think getting baptized would be one of them. And we're seeing this in our church in a huge way. A lot of people desiring to be baptized. A lot of people that have been baptized for a long time are being baptized now, and I do love that. All right, so um, good to see you guys. Good to see you, Carl. Good to have you here with us. Uh, Jari has a question. Uh, Jari says, um, why are there so many different religions? Uh, was this a distraction from Satan, or is this an example of a separation of the wheat and tares? I have an uncle that only wants to believe in fact, in facts, not, no, in facts, not faith. Is that what you're, what you're saying there? Maybe you ran out of room there, Jari. Um, believe in facts, not faith. Yeah. So faith, yeah, Richard Dawkins is famous for saying that faith is believing without evidence. That's not what faith is. There are, there's plenty of evidence for, for Christianity. Faith is believing what God says and trusting in him. It's putting, it's putting, uh, the Bible says, by faith, the children of Israel went through the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted. Moses said, go through. They, by faith, went through. It wasn't that they didn't have any evidence. God had separated the water for them. It's that they put their trust in God. Now, why are there so many different religions? Um, because in the beginning, you think about God destroying the earth by water, uh, Noah and his sons beginning to repopulate the earth, and then man under Nimrod built a tower to try to reach up to heaven and be self-sufficient. That's what they were looking for. And, and they started world religions, and they came out of that. So there's always been a true line all the way back to Noah and even before Noah, all the way back to Adam of really following the one true living God. But out of that has come all of these other religions. And you can, you can discredit a lot of religions right off the bat. And William Lane Craig does a great job in talking about why Hinduism and Buddhism uh, 
are, are, cannot be true, cannot be real, that it has to be a monotheistic God. And then if you go to the, the monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, that, that Christianity is the best fit for the God uh, who is the God who created uh, the universe. And um, William Lane Craig does a great job on it. Uh, Frank Turek does. We'll, we'll talk about these as well. Um, uh, uh, who's Cold Case Detective? Um, ah, I can't remember his name now. But he does a great job on it as well. So there's plenty of things for you to look into, Jari, on this. But the different religions are in the world because people have rebelled against God. And they all are seeking their own way, trying to, to build a Tower of Babel, to find a way to get God out of their lives. And that's like why Buddhism is basically atheism and why Hinduism is not really a, a religion that, like, like, like we would think and name religions today. Same with Taoism and, um, and other kinds of religions uh, that are in the world. But there are so many religions because people are trying to run from God, build a Tower of Babel to get away from Him. And a lot of false religion came out of the Tower of Babel and has continued on to this day. Um, but um, again, uh, there's so many people that do such a good job. Um, you know what? There's a whole section on this um, in the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, where they talk about the different religions in the world and why they can't be sufficient to be the creator of the universe and on monotheism, and things pointing to monotheism and then Christianity. So, um, Jari, if you've never read I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, you can get it on an audiobook to be able to read it. You can get your own copy and mark it up. There's so much good information in there. It's going to give you a good, solid foundation for apologetics. And um, I, would, I, would suggest, um, I would suggest that. All right? So, thank you, Jari, for that. I appreciate it. People are running from God, and they're trying to come up with anything to, that they can follow on their own. All right, so Susan, we have a question. Uh, Susan, good to have you here with us. She says, my husband walked away from God. We're not okay. He wouldn't reconcile with him or me. Um, he won't reconcile with him or me. For that matter, he won't divorce me. Yet this is the best season of my life in Christ. What's your advice? Uh, all right, Susan, and I'm sorry that this is happening to you at this point. Hang on to Jesus. Be patient and wait for, you know, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on, like wings on, like, on the wings of eagles. Wait for God to move, and God can do something. We don't know what way God's going to take this or what way he's going to go. Remember, God gives people a free will. We don't know how God's going to intervene or what's going to happen. So you just wait and see what's going to happen. Um, if your husband has been, sorry, that was crazy. If your husband has been unfaithful, then what Jesus said, if anyone marries a woman that's divorced except for sexual immorality, so if he has been unfaithful, then you can divorce him. If you don't know if he's been unfaithful, then you just have to wait. And so many people are in this situation. There's so many people, especially men. This is my experience. <laughs> so it's not, it's, not, it's not scientific. It's just anecdotal, okay? But who don't want to take responsibility for it. So they want to divorce, but they want to make the wife divorce them. And my advice to women in these situations is don't sign the papers. If he wants to divorce then let him go through with it. He's looking for you to be able to take some of the blame. And don't, don't take, you know, don't, he's going to be able to get the divorce without you. And I say, Susan, I'm sorry that this is happening. I, best season in Christ, praise God. That's awesome. Hang on to Jesus, stay close to him, and see what happens. And there, there will be a resolution to this, I would assume. But if you have to wait, if you had to wait forever until Jesus came back, it wouldn't be that, it wouldn't be a horrible thing because you're doing what Jesus wants you to do. And we're called to surrender. We're called to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow in. So we have another, um, we have another question. Your spouse marries you in sin and they divorce you. Free to marry again? Well, I, I have more questions. What does marries and marries and sin mean? 
does that mean, what does that mean? That mean, I don't know what it means. Does it mean you guys together were in sin? Having sex before marriage, does it mean that your spouse was having sex with someone else before you got married um, and then divorced you? Um, I don't know. You need to sit down and talk with a pastor. You sit down and talk with someone that you can trust. Again, you can't, I can't answer these with just a quick response like that. That's why I tried to give you some information. And, but, but sit down and talk with a pastor. You should be in a good Bible believing church where you can sit down and talk with someone. At our church, we have pastors up front after every service. They're not there for, for prayer. We have a prayer room for people to go to. The pastors are there and I tell them, these guys know the word of God. They've been here a long time. Come up and talk to them. You got something going on. Um, most churches make things like that available. All right. So, um, I'm sorry that I can't give you that information. It's just too, there's too many variables that if I don't get them all, I could respond wrongly and I don't want to send you down a wrong path. So Jari has a follow-up question. Um, founding fathers were Freemasons, not Christians. So can you be a Freemason and be a Christian? That's a question I have. This is what we learn in public school and we can't legislate morality. Murder isn't a moral issue. Abortion is uncle says. So I'm not sure what that last line is there. Uh, try to reread them. Make sure they make sense before you submit them. That way I think it'll make it a little bit better. All right. Jari, thank you for doing this. Um, that looks like it's, this is all over the place. Um, so I don't know how this is a follow-up. Uh, but um, morality someone who says there is no morals, there is no morality and don't put your morality on me. Everybody, everybody, everywhere knows murder is wrong. You, you don't find a country where it's legal to murder someone. Everyone knows it. No matter what religion they are, they know it's wrong. And so those moral morality had to come from some place and that some place comes from God. Oh, and people could say, yeah, hey, look, there's no morality. You're free to do whatever you want to do. And you punch them in the face. They're going to go, that was wrong. I'm going to sue you. Well, why? There's no morality. There's no right or wrong. But there is right or wrong and everyone knows it. So it's just a game that they're playing um, when they say that. All right. Uh, so, um, yeah, let's try just try to keep the questions on one topic when you ask the question. And then maybe we can submit another one we can pick up later on. All right. Um, we have a question from Albert. Albert says, hello, Pastor. Hi, Albert. Good to see you. I feel that the Lord's calling me to fast. Can you please share with me how a typical fast looks for you? How many days do you fast? Do you drink liquids? Do you eat um, a small meal? Thanks, Albert. I appreciate that. Um, fasting, there are different principles for fasting. So when I'm fasting, sometimes I do intermittent fasting, which means I don't eat all day long until nighttime and I have one meal a day. That's made it really easy for me to be able to skip meals because it's just kind of something that I've settled into. It's something that works for me. Um, but when you're fasting for the Lord, fasting is, is something that's akin to grieving. So you're hit with something. It's not just fasting to fast. Well, I need to fast, so I'm going to fast. You've got something you're grieving about, a reason you want to pray and fast. And so then you give God those days. Well, how many ever it is that you want to give to him? Um, you could fast by drinking only water. You could fast by fasting anything except for plain food. You could eat bread, bread and water, just something to get you by. Um, you could, um, and you're fasting pl uh, pleasant food if you do that. Um, you could fast um, for you know a day, for two days, for three days, for five days. You want to you want to fast because you're hit by something, and you want to seek God and pray as you do it. And um, so, yeah, you could eat small meals. You could you could drink liquids. Uh, there are, there's no hard and fast rules on how you as a Christian can fast. I would just say, Albert, that it should be something that has strict, um, um, that has, has, has hit you. When I first learned 
that so many babies were being killed in the womb at 18 years old. I was so struck by it that I, that I, I, I fasted for a, a prolonged period of time. But I was struck by it. It, was, it grieved me that it happened. And so I, I fasted and I prayed over that topic. And that's how I feel that we should use fasting, not just as kind of a way to get spiritually sharp, but over a real topic. Um, so hopefully, hopefully that will be helpful. Um, what It's better to talk about what fasting is and how to fast and what the Bible has to say about it than to talk about how I do it myself. Um, I'd rather not do that. I'd rather talk about what the Bible has to say about it instead of how I do it because how I do it may be, may be different. As I said, it's a little bit easier for me because I do intermittent fasting. And if you intermittent fast and you understand that, uh, it just, just becomes easier. And fasting becomes easier the more you do it, by the way. All right. So thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Rod has a question. Rod says, I heard a pastor speaking on how the miracles Jesus did related to judgments in the end times. What do you think about this? Um, I wish I had some of the information on it. Um, let's just think about some of the miracles and how they might relate to the judgment in the end times. Jesus walking on water. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see a connection. Um, Jesus calming the storm. The last days have a lot of storms, a lot of judgments and storms. Um, earthquake when Jesus dies, there's earthquakes at the end. Um, I'm going to not agree or disagree. I just don't know what miracles would be connected with what judgments. And if I had a specific, this miracle, could that be connected to this judgment? Maybe you could do a follow-up rod if you've got one of those, and, um, and we can take a look at it. But really hard just to kind of look at miracles. If you haven't had time to think about it, really hard to come off the top of your head and just be able to do that. All right, so we have a question from Haley. So Haley says, um, uh, Hi, Pastor, question. Is it sinful to buy or have nice or expensive things? referring to 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. So, um, let me go ahead and pull this passage up on the screen uh, for you. So, I think this is the one that says, if anyone teaches godliness as a means of financial gain, withdraw yourself from them. But I don't think it has anything to do with having something nice or buying something nice. And let me go ahead and go to 1 Timothy 6, and then you said 9 and 10, right? Let me take a look at this. Oh, okay, so it's a little bit further down. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and take a look. Let me put this up on the screen, and we'll take a look at this. So, um, thinking, is it okay to have, let's see, is it okay, uh, what was the question exactly? Um, is it sinful to have nice or expensive things, referencing 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10? So, 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10 says, um, let me go to nine. <laughs> but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Notice it's a desire to be rich. It's a temptation and a snare. And it's a many foolish and harmful lust which drowned men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it's been pointed out so many times, right? It's the love of money, not, not money, which is the root of all evil. I saw a meme online where somebody uh, said, um, if money's uh, the root of all evil, then why do churches ask for money? And I love that the first comment under it was, the love of money is the root of all evil, not money. So the love of money. So you can have no money at all and have a love for money. It says, from which some have strayed the faith of their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So the Bible tells us that to tell those who are rich not to trust in the uncertainty of riches and be willing to share. We know that money can be a barrier to spiritual things. So if we have money, and we in the United States are probably still wealthier than most of the world, so if you have money, it can be a barrier to spiritual things, so you need to deal with that. But this passage here doesn't tell you that you can't have nice things or even expensive things. Um, I think you could, go, you could go overboard, right? So is there any reason that you need to have I don't know, a $10,000 shirt or $20,000 shoes. 
And this happens. There are pastors that have that, those kind of things. So I think we can go overboard. But no, it's not a sin to have nice things. But it is good to know that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and snare. So it shouldn't be our desire to be rich. It should be our desire to be godly. Godliness with contentment, the Bible says. In, the first, in this chapter, by the way, godliness with contentment is great gain. So we have great gain when we are content. And um, those who desire to be rich, many foolish, harmful lusts. Um, I think of what kind of things happen when someone desires to be rich. Well, one of them is that they, they are more susceptible to being taken by scams because they're greedy. And that's how scams work. If you're not a greedy person, you're not going to fall into scams because they're going to be like, hey, I can, I can, you can be rich. I can help you be rich. And you're like, eh, I'm good. I'm all right. I don't need to be rich. I, I remember when I was first exposed uh, to a, um, a, pyramid, a, a pyramid sales. I'm going to call it a pyramid scheme. And the guy that was trying to sell me on it was a football player. Uh, played for the Denver Broncos. And um, he was trying to sell me on it. And it wasn't my first time being exposed to it, by the way. But when I said, I'm going to pass, and we don't need to go on any further. This is the very beginning of it. I'm going to pass. We don't need to go on any further. I'm not interested in this. And he said, well, you know, you could help people as a Christian if you were rich. And I said to him, I don't want to be rich. And he goes, you don't want to be rich. What do you mean you want to be rich? You could help so many people. And I was honest. I want to serve God. And for those who are rich, they don't need to give their riches away. They just need to not trust in the uncertainty of riches. And having nice things is not a problem. Uh, you can you can come, you can begin to covet things. Um, you could flaunt it in front of other people. There could be all kinds of problems, Haley. Um, but yeah, follow follow First Timothy six nine and ten. All, all the way to th uh, through the end. Don't have a love of money. Don't desire to be rich. <clears throat> desire to be close to God. All right. I think it will it will be it will do you good. All right. So no, <clears throat> having money or having nice things does not violate First um, First Timothy six. All right. So we have a question um, from is it Ob? Question: Should we be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as Jesus commanded? Matthew twenty eight nineteen. Are baptized in the name of Jesus? as found in Acts 2.38. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> we should be, there are, there are things in the Bible that are descriptive and then there are things that are prescriptive. The things that are descriptive tell us how something was done. The things that are prescriptive tell us to do certain things. So anything in the book of Acts that says to baptize in the name of Jesus or anything in the book of Acts that baptizes people in the name of Jesus and when you say in the name of Jesus only, I, I get the idea that this is part of the Jesus only movement. And there are a lot of arguments about it. But Jesus said, go out and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is prescriptive. He's telling us what to do. And so anything that was done, uh, that is a, a description of how they did it, doesn't mean that that's how we should do it. So unless the Bible says, and you do it this way. So um, let's just cons consider uh, these two passages. Let's go to Matthew 28 and let's look at what it says. And, and we'll see what the Lord tells us, what the Lord Jesus tells us, okay? Matthew 28, what was your passage here? Uh, 19, all right, so let's go here. Uh, I'm gonna put the scriptures up on the screen for you. So Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all the things that I command you to do. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. That's the prescription that comes from Jesus. He's telling us how we're supposed to do it. We would have to have something that would override it and tell us why we are no longer doing it the way Jesus told us to do it for us to change that. Okay? Um, the Jesus-only movement believes that when God manifests himself, he only manifests himself as Jesus or as the Father or as the Holy Spirit. But you have conversations in the Bible with Jesus praying to the Father. You have Jesus exalting the Father. You have the angel, the dove, and Jesus and God saying, this is my beloved Son whom I am well pleased, all in one place. So we do not believe 
we believe in the Trinity as three in one. We don't believe that the the Holy Spirit is like, or that the the Trinity is like. I'm trying to figure out a um, how you could describe it. Um, a jug of water that is either water, frozen, or vapor, and it's the same. It's the same thing. It, it was water, a liquid at one point. It was froze the solid at another point and it was vapor at another point and so they were all three one that's not what the trinity is that has been fought in history it's what the council of nicaea was really about it was really about the idea of the trinity as we believe it and overwhelmingly they rejected um trying to remember the name of the guy uh, there was one or two votes the other way that taught what the jesus only movement would teach today about who jesus is uh, T.D. Jakes is, is, is Jesus only, some others. So Jesus gave us this prescription. Now let's go to your other passage, all right? Your other passage is Acts 2.38. And Acts 2.38 is an interesting passage. It's used by different groups to try to prove different things. Two thir- uh, Acts 2.38, let me get there. Uh, sorry to do that in front of you. All right, um, it says, Then Peter said, Repent, and let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Uh, so this is the way Peter does it. This is what he commands them. Did he baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit when they baptized him? We don't know. Was he saying in the name of Jesus because the name of the Son is there? Because he left out the Father and the Spirit doesn't mean that he didn't baptize them in the name of the Father and the Spirit. It says, for the remission of sins. The word for there could be also because of the remission of sins. Let me go ahead and go to the Amplified Bible to show you this. And um, Peter said, repent, change your way of thinking, turn from your sins, accept and follow Jesus as your Messiah and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ because of the forgiveness of your sins. Because your sins are forgiven, then go ahead and be baptized. So, no, we reject the Jesus only teachings. Um, we reject, I think it's modalism, the idea that God manifests himself in one way and is not, when he's manifest as the Son, he's not the Father, he's not the Spirit. We reject that. That's not what was taught in church history. It's not what the what the Bible teaches about, about Jesus. Um, we reject it. And so we would see this as description where Jesus gave us a prescription about how we were supposed to live. All right? So thank you very much for joining us and for that question. I appreciate it. So uh, let's see. Um, Brooklyn, welcome back. Um, so uh, good to see you. Uh, typical questions, by the way, um, that you can get on atheist websites that bring up different points um, about Christianity. Um, God says to take a virgin girl that you capture in war and marry them, uh, especially if you find them beautiful, is marrying girls whose family you killed in war okay? So, like I said, Brooklyn, so typical, you can go to any atheist website, you can find Christ, uh, questions that you can ask Christians, and this is a typical one that is on there. Um, let me go ahead and try to answer this for you. So, we're living 3,000 years away from the time that that was written. And in the time that they were writing, there were certain ways in which culture did things. And one of the things that would happen is that women would be abused. And the Bible went above and beyond saying that if there was someone who was beautiful, you see them, you want you got to marry them. You can't just rape them, you can't just take them. You've got to marry them. You've got to make a commitment to them. So this is actually a protection uh, for uh, for these girls. I want to go to this passage, uh, Brooklyn, in the book of Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy uh, 21, 11 through 14. So um, let's see. So let's go ahead and put this up on the screen for you. So it says, um, we're going to go back to 10, Um, all right? Um, When you go out to battle against your enemies and the Lord your God hands them over to you and you lead um, them away captive, you see a beautiful woman among the captives and desire her that you would take her to be your wife. 
okay? This is not how people in their day would have done it. They would have gone out, they would have raped, they would have taken the woman, they wouldn't have taken them to be their wife. You have to take this woman and marry her. So this is a protection for the captives in a day where there were battles that were going on around them when they were being used by God to to remove the Canaanites from the land because of sin that they had 400 years to repent from, then you shall bring her home to your house and she shall shave her head and trim her nails in preparation for mourning. So now he is concerned for this woman. She's lost her family. Before she marries someone, she's able to go through a time of, of mourning. She shall take off her clothes of her captivity and remain in your house and weep and mourn for her father and mother a full month. After that, you may go into her and be her husband and she shall be your wife. But it shall be that if you have no delight or take no pleasure in her, then you shall let her go wherever she wishes. So you just can't have her as a captive and you can't treat her any way that you want to treat her. This, Brooklyn, is so much better than the things that were happening in their day. There were, let me go ahead and put your, your question back up here. I don't know where it went. Um, than the things that were happening in their day. So many of the things that God said, for example, um, thou, uh, there's, a, there's a passage that says, if a man kidnaps or is found with anyone who is kidnapped, then he is to be put to death. So you couldn't have antebellum slavery in the Bible, because the Bible fought against that at a time when there was all kinds of slavery um, that was out here, out there. So when you look at this passage, it's a protection for the girl. Now you put it in this way: is marrying girls whose family you killed at war okay? So that's all, all you're doing is asking a question in such a way that when it's answered in a positive, it looks bad. Instead, let's have an open discourse. I'd love to have an open discourse to talk about these things. I'm not saying that there's not problem passages in the Old Testament. And if you are interested, uh, for those of you who are listening, Brooklyn, you may, may be as well, Craig Keener did a work called Is God a Moral Monster? where he deals with issues like this and he goes into their culture. So we're going back into a culture 3,000 years ago and a whole different culture than what we're living, a different language, a different culture. And we're looking at the way that they interacted in their culture. And again, a lot of the things that God gave, and maybe you weren't here for this, Brooklyn, but a lot of the things that God gave were concessions to them. It wasn't the way he wanted it. He told them that they could divorce because of the hardness of their heart, but God didn't want them to divorce. He told them that they could have a king, but God didn't want them to have a king. And because of the world that they're living in, and what are you going to do with these girls who have been taken captive? There are concessions that God allows that is not the best. And there's a lot of passages in the Bible that are that way. But it is good to have you here, Brooklyn, and I appreciate it. And I look forward to your next question, all right? Whatever question you, you find uh, to be able to bring in. Um, I would just encourage you, Brooklyn. I really like that you're here. I think it's great. Um, find, a find a better way to ask it. So, um, I don't know. I take it you're, you're agnostic. I think you're agnostic atheist is what you said um, last week. So, if I go to an agnostic atheist's writings and I find something that is particularly offensive and I ask it to you in a way that if you say yes, even though you agree with it, it makes you look bad. Do you see how we could be more gracious with each other? How we can bring it up, still bring it up and say, does this look okay to you? You know, and then we could talk about what it is. But the, the same thing could be done because there's been a lot of brutalities from atheists. There's a lot of books written by atheists and atheism that you might even agree with portions of it um, that I could make it look bad just for the sake of making it look bad. And um, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to look at these questions. All right. So I appreciate it. Uh, so we have another question from, let's check in the time there, uh, from New Era. Um, how do you explain difficult Bible passages such as Genesis 19:36-38 to non-Christians and new followers to Christ? All right, I'm not familiar with Genesis 19. I mean, I'm familiar with it, but I can't remember offhand what Genesis 19 says, 36 through 38, 36 through 38. All right, so just a few verses here. Right. Okay. Yeah. So. There are difficult passages in the Bible, and 
we have to deal with them. We have to go to them and deal with them. But again, a new era, there are descriptive and prescriptive. So when God's telling us to do something, that's one thing. When God is describing what someone did, it's another. So this is where Lot has his two daughters get him drunk and he has children by his daughters. The New Testament calls Lot a righteous man and his heart was vexed day and night by what he saw. His daughters um, found themselves to be alone with no men because I think they were living in a cave. Let me go ahead and put this up on the screen for you. We'll read these verses. It says, thus both the daughters of Lot conceived by their father. The first gave birth to a son named Moab. That's where the Moabites come from. Um, he is the father of the Moabites this day. The younger gave birth to the son named Ben Ammon, the son of my people. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. So it's very easy for us as, as Christians to answer these kind of difficult questions. The Bible tells us that the thought of man's heart is continually wicked. There's all kinds of wicked things that men do. And, and Christians do things that are wrong. And men and women in the Bible who had a relationship with God did wrong things as well. And there's no one justifying what was done. The, it was the fear, there's things we can learn from it. It was the fear of Lot, not wanting to live in a city, not, being, not wanting to go back to Abraham for whatever reason, that he might be able to get husbands for his daughters, that he ended up living in a cave where there was no one for them to have, um, no one for them to have as a husband. And so um, one of them came up with a plan to get their father drunk and sleep with them because there was no one around them. So a couple of things we can learn from it. We can learn that don't live in fear. And we can learn probably not the best thing to bring our children up in Sodom. And yeah, I think it was in Sodom that they were at. Um, and um, so, uh, yeah, this happened in Zor. Um, Lot went, uh, let me just go ahead and put this back up on the screen for you because this gives you a little bit of the context and context can always help. Now, Lot went up from Zor and lived in the mountains together with his two daughters. He was afraid to stay in Zor. And so he lived in a cave with his two daughters. The firstborn said to the younger, our father is aging and there is not a man on the earth to be intimate with us in the customary way um, uh, so that we may have children. I'm still in the Amplified Bible. Come, let us make our father drunk. So you see the setting um, that is there. And for me, this is not a, th this is not a difficult passage to, to talk about, to teach. Uh, there are plenty of them that are and that are harder. So how would I explain this to a non-Christian? I would say it's, it's descriptive. It's just talking about what happens. So I could find anyone from any religion. We talk about atheists. I could find atheists that have done horrible things. And if I bring it up, so an atheist did that. So what about that? You're an atheist. This atheist did that. That's not a problem because an atheist is going to say, that's on me. And because people did things and because the Bible's honest and tells us what people did, it's not a problem. New followers of Christ, boy, there's so much that they can learn from here, from this. They can learn that there are things in the Bible that are just telling a story. They're telling us what it is. It doesn't make it right. And so people will read something like this in the Bible and they'll think it's telling them that it's okay to do it. But it's just describing what happened. It's descriptive and not prescriptive. Theme of the day. All right. So thank you very much. Um, I don't think that there's much difficulty in passages like that, all right, and being able to, to talk to non-believers and believers about it. Um, so we have a question from Maria. Um, Maria says, Hi, Pastor, I was told from Jim Barnes' Bible study that you make a mistake in marriage that we are forgiven and can remarry. Okay, well, I guess that's something between me and Jim um, to go ahead and and work out, all right? Um, yeah, thanks, thanks for sharing with me. I will check that out, okay? So, um, Rod says, um, all right, yeah, so Rod, Rod says, First uh, Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God. Hard, hard to sometimes, but when you do it, it helps you through it. Yeah, and I would, I would agree, Rod. It is, it is difficult. All right. So um, I appreciate you guys. What do we got here? We got six more minutes. So we can take another question. We have a question from LA91. LA91 says, I had heard before the cross it was conditional security, church. 
age eternal security. After rapture, conditional security. Is it true? Dispensationalism said why there is confusion amplified to four times. All right. So I, I heard before the cross, it was conditional security, church age, eternal security. After the rapture, conditional security. So I'm asking, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that there are, that there are changes to that. I don't know if I would agree with that. Um, I certainly can't, can't deal with this question in, in four minutes. So I may very well use this as a first question um, later on. All right, LA91, I appreciate that. Um, we have a question on our first question today. Jenny Z says, question, when a divorce occurs after infidelity and both party, are both parties free to remarry? Or is it just the party who did not commit adultery free to remain while the other is to stay single? I'm, we're talking about Christians, okay? So, we're not talking about non-believers. This is marriage, divorce, and the Christian. So, two Christians, one has an affair, they get a divorce. The, the, the offended party, free to remarry, no problem. The offending party needs to repent and deal with it. And then, because they are no longer married, they could remarry. So it is possible that they remarry. But the offending party and the offender party are not the same. They both have different situations. They both have to deal with them differently. But I would say the broad question to your, to your answer is yes, being Christians, asking for forgiveness, being forgiven, both are free to remarry. And it might seem like, like I said, so there are people that are like, well, then I'm going to have an affair and get a divorce and then I can remarry anyway because there's been infidelity and I'm the one that caused the infidelity. But again, listen, God, God's not mocked. And I would be scared to live my life that way and, and to try to come up with them. So, um, all right. So, um, Rod says, follow up. Jesus filling purification jars with wine. Wine is impure versus water. Wrath on Pharisees equals wrath on Pharisees. Wine is impure versus water. Yeah, so I'm not sure what you're asking, Ron. I'm sorry. It's probably just me. Jesus filled purification jars with wine. Wine is impure versus water. Wrath on Pharisees. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Rod. I don't, I don't get it. Um, as I said, could be me. All right. Um, Violet Stag, good to see you. I've only got three minutes here left. So I don't know what 1 Corinthians 8 uh, says. So I'm not off the top of my head. Can't remember what 1 Corinthians 8 says. Um, let me just go ahead and look at the, the chapter really quick. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8 and see what it's about. Um, having a sensitive conscience. So maybe we can, you can ask, uh, put more of the reference down, Violet Stag, and, and, and give it to me next time. All right. Um, so I'm going I'm to end with this, this question from New Era. And New Era says, how does a Christian know they are saved if there is a stronghold, sin, in a person's life that they still struggle with? Are they saved? God's the only one who can look at a heart and judge someone. We cannot. But the way we know we're saved is that we do what God wants us to do. By this we know uh, that we are in him because we keep his commandments. And so it's not only a desire to do what he wants us to do, but it's doing it. Now, someone that has a stronghold. Strongholds are a stronghold for a reason. People don't say, I'm struggling with a weak hold. They're struggling with a stronghold. And so if you were to take every person that's ever struggled with a stronghold then you would probably say they can't be saved. But if you talk to the person, and it depends on the person, right? So th this person struggling with this stronghold may be repenting every single time, maybe calling out to God, maybe asking God to help them and to be able to turn from it. And they're all right with God. There may be another person that has a stronghold and they're just living it. And they don't care. They've got unconfessed, unrepentant sin, and they're just living it in their lives. And so God's the only one that knows all of those intimate details of someone's heart. 
We don't know them. But how do I know that I am saved? Because I want to do the things God wants me to do. That's how I know. How, um, yeah, that, that's how I know. If I have unconfessed, unrepented sin, I don't want to please him. If I say, look, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, but I want to, don't want to do what he says. Well, then there's, that's problematic. You might run into a problem because of that. But we know we're saved because we want to do the things that God wants us to do. All right, so um, hour goes by so fast. Uh, it's good talking with you. Thank you guys uh, for being here. Uh, I hope that these have been helpful. Um, if you have more questions, marriage, divorce, and Christian remarriage, talk to a, uh, talk to a pastor. Hopefully they don't tell you something uh, that is unbiblical. All right, um, so uh, again, uh, love you guys. Stay close to Jesus. Uh, desire to walk with him and to do the things that the Bible tells us to do, living for him with a whole heart. I see that there are other questions that are on here. Um, we're, I'm going to take a look at these later and look for a first question for a future Q&A. All right. Um, thanks for being here. And um, Brooklyn, thanks, uh, thanks for being here as well. Um, so I'll take a look at this question that you've got here, this follow-up. You've got Brooklyn on it and see if we can cover it. Uh, you're welcome to join us. Um, Lord willing, we'll be here again on Saturday, and um, you're welcome to join us and ask a follow-up then, all right? So thank you very much. Uh, all right, I appreciate you guys. I uh, love you, and we'll see you later on. I'm out.